0: Our Old Testament reading today is from the book of Nehemiah, It's verses 1 through 3 and 6 through 25. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. Verse 6. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens, with all their host; the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you, and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day. And by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down from Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples, and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sion, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you told their fathers to enter and possess." So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land, and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance, So they ate and were filled and became fat, and delighted themselves in your great goodness. This is the word of the Lord. And our gospel reading is from the book of Luke. It's chapter 6, verses 43 through 49. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. Our
1: sermon text comes continuing from the book of Nehemiah chapter nine, picking up at verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back, killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. At the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. According to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules. Which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hands of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end for them or forsake them, for you are gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great and mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people, since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves." And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you've set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we're in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document of the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Skip over to chapter 10, verse 28. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter in a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is truth. And thank you that you use it and you speak through it to the hearts of people like us. And so Father, we pray that you'd speak. Pray that you'd open our ears and our hearts and our minds to what you have to say, Father, because you alone have the words of eternal life. I have nothing worth saying. So Father, speak for your servants, listen. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us at all during these last few weeks, we have been spending a lot of time in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and we are ending that today. And what we've been doing is looking at a people as they're coming out of exile, going back into normal life, And as they try to recreate and rebuild their lives, that there's lessons in it for us as we work our way back into a normal life at the end of this kind of COVID pandemic. We're not there yet, but we're on our way. And so what we've seen over the last few weeks, the first week, if you'll remember, we talked about God's sovereignty. If God truly is sovereign, if he's truly in control of all things, then it's important for us not to see this pandemic as just kind of a blip on the radar screen, but something God was intentionally using for us and for the world around us just as he did exile, and how important that that is. And then we see God's people coming back to rebuild lives. And the first thing we realize is not everything needed to be rebuilt. Not everything that was in the old life needed to be in the new life. So as they looked and said, okay, what are the most important things? We've watched them rebuild lives of worship as he rebuilt the temple and rebuilt the altar, rebuild lives of compassion as we watched Nehemiah churned and turned as he saw the hurt that was going on with the people of Israel. Watch them to be, continue to be people of community. They gathered together and bonded together. This wasn't kind of a one person doing this thing. It was all of them working and gathering as one man. And then in the midst of all that last week, we saw truth. These were a people that were committed to the truth of God's word. They were committed to knowing and understanding and obeying what it said. And then today we're gonna see them rebuild a life around the gospel and how important that that is for us as we move forward, as we go into these new lives. Um, As always, we love to try to engage the kids to make sure that they are able to kind of listen and pay attention. So I've got some questions, three questions for you. Some of them are two-part questions. Sorry, that's the way it goes. One, what is one word that God's people use to describe God? And then I want you to come up with one word you would use to describe God for lunch today with your parents. Number two, what was one thing that God did for his people? As we've heard, and we'll talk about that some more. And think about this for yourself. What's one thing God's done for you? And then three, what does it mean to repent? You probably hear that word a lot in church. It's one of those big fancy words we use and don't explain. So I'm gonna do my best to explain what that means for you later. So now context. Keep in mind where we are. We've got people who have come back from exile. This is the third group that came with Nehemiah. They've now finished their big job, which was to build the wall to make Jerusalem safe again. And at the midst of this, he went straight into worship. That's what we looked at last week, reading of God's law, reading of God's word. And then we find them in this really interesting place. Now that the job is done, now what? Now what? What is life supposed to look like now? Now that we've kind of done the thing we we're supposed to do. And I would guess that a lot of us are asking that very same question today. Maybe sometime during this pandemic, you've retired. You spent your entire life living and working and doing these jobs that God's called you to do. And it's like, I'm done with that. Now what? Maybe for some of you, you're just getting um, an empty nest for the first time. Your youngest kid has gone off to college, whatever that may look like in today's time. And you're going, now what? My, My whole life was wrapped up in raising these kids. Now what do I do? For some of you, maybe it's just having kids. Maybe that was the goal all along is to have kids. And You're going, oh my gosh, why did I want to do that? I forgot. What was the joy in this for? Now what do I do? Now I've got these unruly, crazy kids. What do I do? Maybe for some of you, it was just the goal was just to get married and you're married. You're like, now what? Because now I see that I'm way more selfish than I thought. And they're way more selfish than I am. So this is really bad. maybe you've just finished college and you're looking for that first job and you're trying to figure out what does the world look like? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? Now what? Because we realize that all these places in our lives that the things that we hoped would satisfy have just fallen flat. Now what? If at some point we get a, you know, a cure to this pandemic, Now what? This is exactly what they were wrestling with. We've done the big thing we were supposed to do. We've come back out of exile. Now what? What do we do next? How do we then decide how to live? What is gonna guide us? They've been guided by building. I get up in the morning, I build a wall, I go to bed. Now what? What signals my day? What helps me make decisions? How do I keep living? And for them, it's gonna be, around the gospel. Now, my assumption is most of you are going to try to question this a little bit, as well you should. Good Bible scholars are going, Andrew, wait a minute. Gospel is a Greek word. It's found in the New Testament. It's not in the Old Testament. It sure is not in this passage. So you are cheating. Yes, I am. Because there's no other way to describe what's happening here. Did they fully grasp what the gospel was? No, not until Jesus came would they have any understanding. They didn't have this word. They didn't fully grasp what this meant, leaning into God's grace and mercy and seeing a change. But as we look at these people and we look at their actions, we look and see what happens, there is no more perfect picture of the gospel for you and for me. And this is in the Old Testament, I can't tell you many times I've talked with people who go, you know what, I really prefer the God of the New Testament over the God of the Old Testament. And I'm like, they're the same God. I mean, it's the exact same God. Like, oh, but the Old Testament, he's mean and he's angry and he's vengeful and he's, I'm like, we're gonna see. Even in the Old Testament, he's a God of grace. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. So as we think about rebuilding our lives around the gospel in the way they did, there's three things I want you to see that they did that we need to do. They were a people of remembrance. They were people of repentance. They were people of renewal. First, they were people of remembrance. It is so easy to forget, isn't it? It is so easy to forget even the important things. Sometimes I get so busy with my to-do list or things that I've got to accomplish, I forget the easy things. And I forget the important things. I don't ever forget to eat. I know some people do that. I've never done that before. But people do that. It's for, you forget the things that matter. And sometimes it's interesting to have those relationships. You probably all have people who love to remind you who you used to be. Do you ever reminisce with like friends from high school or before? I love and hate those conversations all at the same time. I love remembering the good old days, but I also hate remembering who I was before. The things people say about me, I'm like, oh, it's kind of cringy. I'm like, I didn't mean to be a jerk like that. I'm so sorry. And they'll laugh about it. So for us to be a people that remember, it's so important because when we forget, it so often leads us to disobedience. We need to remember what God has done. Remember who he is. And that's exactly what they did. They remembered. First off, they remembered who God was. We've got a couple of these from this passage that I think are gonna be really important for us. He was the Lord God alone. He was worshiped by the host of heaven. He's righteous. He's a God ready to forgive. He's gracious and merciful, used twice. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, full of great mercies. The great, mighty, and awesome God, righteous and faithful. It could not go but a step or two where on their tongues was this proclamation of who God was. They had a very clear And these are people who just came out of exile. If anybody had a right to complain about him, like I mean, I don't know, I don't know if God's really all that good after the last seventy years in slavery and having a. This was their response. They gather together and they remember and recall who God is—gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Because this changes everything for them. It changes all the context of anything else that happens when they remember who God is. Here's my challenge for you during this holiday weekend, be it today, be it tomorrow. I'm asked for five minutes, probably 10 actually, give me a second, for the first five minutes. I want you to sit down and write down who God is to you. Who, Who God is to you. When's the last time you thought about that? When was the last time you thought, who is God to me? Is he savior? Is he Lord? Is he a pain in the rear? Is he a rules keeper? Is he angry and frustrated? Is he slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? Is he gracious and merciful? Is he loving to me? Take the time, five minutes, who is God? Because when they remembered who God is, it changes it all for them. Then they look at remembering what God has done. So another list, probably two pages of this one. He was a creator of heavens and earth and all that was in it, and he preserved it all. He chose Abram, he made a covenant with him. He saw the afflictions of his people, performed signs and brought them out of slavery, gave them the law on the Sabbath, guided them and provided for their daily needs, didn't forsake them when they deserved it, gave them the spirit to instruct them, gave them the land he'd promised, warned them and gave them over because of their sin, but answered and saved when they cried out, did not make an end to them or forsake them even in their disobedience and wickedness. They remembered who he was in the midst of who they were. And what I love is they don't whitewash over this. This wasn't just like the greatest hits of what they remember. Because that's the funny thing. Have you ever noticed when you reminisce with someone how things change? The touchdown pass is twice as long as it was 20 years ago. The wave was twice as big. The car was twice as fast. The fish was twice. Like everything changed. Like it's the funny, the perspective. I don't know, the older I get, bigger things got when I was young. And if we're not careful, we make ourselves the heroes of our own story. Think about when you like think about high school or 15, 20 years ago or 50 years ago, what are the negative things you think about yourself? Aren't you the hero in every story? I won, I was the one. I I was the one who stood up for the bully or I was the one who did whatever was right. It's funny. I don't think we even mean to. It just naturally how we like whitewash so much of the past. They refused to do that. Over and again, you were faithful. We were wicked. We struggled. And yet your favor upon us did not rest on how good we were. They remembered the truth about who he was, what he did. And when we do that, it so clearly shines to us how we've fallen short, which led them to repentance. When they saw how good God was and how much they continued to fail, they could not help but repent. They couldn't help but confess their sins. They couldn't help but see all the places that they had continued to fall short time after time. And they walked into it ready for it. It was a catalyst was God's word. It said they read God's word for a fourth of the day. And as they read it, it moved in them. It changed in them. That's why we encourage everyone to spend time in God's word because it reminds us who he is and it shows us our own brokenness and sin. It was the catalyst for them. They see this happening all around. They're reading it. They're getting it. It says at the beginning of the chapter, they're covered in sackcloth. It's like, if you've ever done a potato sack race, like burlap, they're like covered in itchy burlap. And he would put dust or earth, as it says here, or ashes on their head. It's what they did when they mourned. It wasn't just that they were recounting a list of sins, like, yeah, that was bad. It was, they were broken to the core over their sins. Sitting in the dust to remember that it was from dust we come and from dust we will return broken and they didn't just kind of do it vaguely they were specific here's the specific ways that we have sinned against you I can't tell you how many times when I confess my sin I'm very general hey God I know I probably screwed up today that was pretty bad please forgive me when the truth is the joy that comes from being specific about our sin is the fact that we see more of our need for him So often we don't wanna confess, we don't wanna repent because it makes us feel guilty and it makes us feel bad and we think, I don't need that in my life right now. But if we continue to turn to him with these places in our life and we get to see victory, we get to see ourselves with the things, if we're specific about what we repent for, when we start to make progress and the Holy Spirit in us continues to work and we don't sin in the same ways that we used to, it's joy, They were specific and they weren't just proclaiming other people's sins. It said, we, you've been faithful, we acted wickedly. It is so easy to confess sins for other people, isn't it? We all have people in our lives whose sins are so obvious. We're like, man, you can tell. But it's hard for us to hold the mirror up to ourselves to see our own sin. To confess it deeply, to be hurt over it, to mourn over it, to weep over the deep, dark places of our sin. Because we confess them because we believe he's merciful. A God who's ready to show mercy. That's what they were proclaiming. They confessed for one reason and one reason only because they believe in confession can be found forgiveness because they appealed to the God of mercy and the God of grace. We confess not to just get it off our chest and feel better. We confess our sins because we believe God can do something about it. As far as the East is from the West, so far He has removed our sins from us. That's why we repent. That's why we confess. But repentance has more than just confession, it's more than just admitting you're wrong. The picture we have of repentance is you're walking in one direction and you stop and you turn and do a 180 degree turn and go in the opposite direction. Repentance is I'm walking away from the Lord. And when I see it, when I understand it, I acknowledge it, I turn and I go the other way towards him. And that starts with renewal. They wanted a new, they didn't just want to get stuff off their chest. They wanted a new relationship with God. They came to him with a covenant before him. They came and they put it in writing and they sealed it. This official document saying, we want to be who God calls us to be. We want to be people who obey the law. We want to be people who follow him. And so often it's the part of the gospel we talk about the least. We love talking about his grace. We love talking about his mercy and all that is true. But he calls us in light of his grace and mercy to be followers of him, to seek after him, to obey him. What does Jesus say in our gospel reading? You're gonna know fruit, by you're gonna know trees by their fruit. I'm gonna know my people by the way they live for me, not to try to earn my favor, but because they already have my favor. Why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? I tell you what to do for you to do it. This end result of all this was for them to follow hard after God. And it was for everybody. So one of my favorite parts of this passage. You see what it is? It's for the men, it's for the women, it's for the kids. It's for all who could understand. Everybody had a part to play in this because they were God's people and it says that they made this oath that they would even call curses on themselves if we don't obey let god continue to pour his wrath on us. It's a scary thing to say especially because they're never going to live up to this. They can't. They could never live this out perfectly. They could never obey enough or perfectly because of their sinful nature. And yet their hearts were so stirred, so in love with the lord they say we want to try. I believe so much in your grace and mercy that it is worth the risk to try to make this covenant before you because covenants were a big deal. We see Moses, we see Abram, we see Jacob, we see others where God makes a covenant with his people. And where they hoped on his grace and mercy, we get the full fulfillment of it because we have one who has not just called us to a new life, who's made us new. Because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus has held up our end of the covenant. So what the new covenant is. It's no longer about our works. It's about his grace. It's about his works for us. When he says on the cross, it is finished. That's what he meant for us. That he's kept both ends of the bargain. And he took all of our sin, all that would separate us, all these things that if we listed them all out, we would be so mortified by. He took them onto himself that we might have the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God poured out in abundance upon us. And we are made new as his people that we might go out and live as his people. We might go out and be his people Everywhere that we go, it is not by accident that God has called you to the places where you are to be his ambassadors and witnesses. Now, my whole life, I have had no problems accepting God's forgiveness. I love his forgiveness. It's probably one of my favorite things about him. I've had a hard time accepting his call, accepting his lordship, accepting that call to say, go and do this. Those are the hard places. That's where our faith really has legs. It's where we have to really wrestle because as his people, he calls us not just to have a new life, but to live a new life. In the moments where I've wrestled the most, I feel like I've heard the Lord ask me one question. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? After everything I've done for you, after everything I've shown you, after all this grace and all this mercy and all this that I've done, do you you trust me? Do you not just trust me enough to forgive you, but do you trust me enough to run your life? And I have to wrestle with that because I think God needs my help most of the time. I think I've got a pretty good thing going here. He says, do you trust me? And do you trust me that that which you think you have to give up to follow me in the end really isn't worth it anyway? Do you trust me enough that when I call you to do something, it really is for your good? Do you trust me that I've got a plan for you that is way better than your plan? Even when it doesn't feel like it at times. Because at the very end of this chapter, what do we find them doing? We're still in distress. We're still under these other kings, but we know that God is with us. We know that he has forgiven us. We know that he has renewed us because we can be his people again. You and I have the opportunity in trusting in Jesus that we get to be his people, his blood bought people that we might go and live for him. So let us be a people who where the gospel permeates all that we have and all that we are. We'll be a people of remembrance, remembering who God is and what he's done people of repentance who see our sin, who confess it and we walk away from it towards the Lord and be a people of renewal, people who trust in the fact that God has made us new and God has a plan for us that we may be as people who lovingly obey him in all that we do for his glory. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the truth of your gospel. Thank you for the picture that we get even in the Old Testament of it. Thank you for the way that you love us that you pour out grace and mercy, that you are slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love for us. Help us to remember, even in the difficult and hard times, your faithfulness to us. And Father, let us see our sin. That is a scary thought, but let us see it. Let us see it all, that we might confess it to you, that we might appeal to your love and your grace and your mercy, that we know that our sins are many, but your mercy is more, Superabounds all of our sin. And because of that, out of thankfulness for that, because we have no way to do this on our own, but because you've forgiven us, that we would go and be your people, that we would go be salt and light, that we would go and live for you, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.